Hey, happy Sunday. So good to see all of you. And uh, if you forgot, today's daylight savings. Some of you woke up and thought, man, I'm a little tired. I don't know why. Uh, your smartphone just took care of that, right? Prior to smartphones for a while, it was all my pastor friends would be the only ones on Facebook. Daylight savings, daylight savings. And that might be their only two posts of the year. Uh, but um, we're so glad you are um, halfway awake and here, hopefully, and hopefully your soul is uh, wake to worshiping um, through the worship and uh, worshiping God together. All of you joining um, online as well. We want to just welcome you. Those of you who are outside, we were just glad that you are all here as we could worship together. Um, today we go to a passage that um, we are familiar with, but oftentimes we've never really thought through very carefully. Um, it's uh, a little difficult at times to ponder upon this. Jesus' righteous anger at the temple and him cleansing the temple. Why did he do that? Uh, what was the mistake that was made? Would he do that today? Would he do that in the church today? Um, and so those, those are some of the questions we want to try to figure out as we think about this concept of worship. You know, um, years back I was invited to speak at a church on their anniversary. And, um, uh, you know, so I, I went out there to speak. But they were in the midst of a fight and the church was fighting and there was litigation and police and it was just um stuff that you you know it's hard to believe right you hear it you say no they, they couldn't but people were doing that and they were um the church was kind of split and they were fighting in one side of the church and as i was going they were prepping me and usually it was a guest speaker when the church preps you they tell you things like please finish by a certain time or um you know we've been doing this series so you know, just a little context or the type of people who might be there. So it, it's usually things like that. But the prep I got was this. It was, yeah, the opposing side, they hire these two bouncers from the local nightclub. And they're guarding the pulpit. The pulpit uh, became now this point, this symbolic of who's going to win. And so whoever gets to use it is the winner. So they said, you can't preach from there. And he says the two bouncers that are hired are actually sitting on the stage, and they're sitting next to the, the two, uh, the two guys are sitting next to the pulpit, um, and so they'll be there. They won't bother you, but you just can't use that pulpit. That's their job. So I said, well, that's strange, and so they put a, a smaller podium in front of the pulpit, and then as I got there a little early, I see them. They're sitting there cross-legged. One guy has a bag of Doritos, and the other guy has a bottle of Coke, and they're just sitting there, and they look at me. I look at them. I say, hey, guys, and they just smile, and Hey, and, um, and then they, the other side, I guess, that invited me came and they put a big screen right in front of them. So they were behind the screen sitting there the whole time. And then they had to sit through my sermon. So I think it, maybe it was a good thing for them, but I had to preach. But I thought about that. And I thought, man, this is the Lord's church. What does he think about all this? What's the emotion that God must have felt seeing his church behaving in this manner? Getting to this point where they're fighting over who is going to preach and you can't come in here to worship and you are allowed to worship but your preacher cannot come in and preach and you can't use this. To go and hire people, to go and physically remove people out of the way from preaching and all of these thoughts um, I had. And obviously the people there, the people, the pastors there, and the, the leaders there, imagine their turmoil. Uh, but I thought about that. I thought, man, this must break God's heart that the church of God would act in this way. 
And maybe if Jesus was here in, uh, in person at that time, I think he would have cleaned house. He would have cleaned house. What we see here in our text that we read in the Gospel of Luke 19, I think it would have happened there. Those bouncers would have stood no chance. They would have been uh, kicked out uh, by the righteous anger of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we see this story. We see Jesus' righteous anger. Um, and there's something going on in the temple that angers him to the point that he now cleanses him. He chases him out. The Bible says that he drove him out. It's a strong word to push out, to drive out. It wasn't casual. It wasn't easy. It was forceful. And he drove him out and he was angry. And he kicked them all out of the temple. The temple represented worship. And so we see here today, and we're going to bring it to our day and age, uh, these truths about worship, what worship entails, what it doesn't entail. Uh, these three truths, we're going to highlight that here uh, in just a moment. A little background here, uh, when Jesus cleansing the temple, um, it's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. All right? It's kind of interesting because the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have it at the end, the beginning of Passover. This is now the last section, if we could say, of the Gospel story. Jesus is now coming back to Jerusalem. And the Passover is beginning, and this is him now coming in before he is crucified. But outside of the synoptics, the Gospel of John, which is not the synoptics, it has some different things. The themes are often very theological. John has the story, but it's a little different. The words are a little different. The placement is definitely different. It's in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So some have said, well, maybe John just wanted to take the theme there and tie it in. And you could just say it was one event, but that's what it was. Uh, but a lot of uh, New Testament scholars will tell you, no, actually, it was two separate times he cleansed the temple. One happened in the beginning, as John records, and one happened at the end. So in the beginning of his ministry, he goes in and he cleans house. This was something that he could not stand. He cleans house. And at the end of his ministry, three years later, he goes back to the temple and he cleans house again. What is it? What was it that made him so angry he did it twice? What were the people in the temple doing that Jesus' anger rose so high that he physically pushed them out and rebuked them? And he did this twice. Um. We see here in our text today that Passover is beginning. Um, this big religious holiday would come about and all the people, the Jews and even the Gentiles who identified themselves as a Jew or converted to becoming a Jew, they would all come in. People would come in. And their goal was during Passover to come to the temple. And they would come to the temple and they would have to offer a sacrifice. And so you can imagine for many who worked at the temple, who lived near the temple, this was kind of their Super Bowl of the year. This was the big event. This was an opportunity to make some money. Um, and so what they would have is they called this the uh, Bazaar of Annas. Annas was one of the high priests that was named after him. It was a bazaar. It was basically like a flea market or a swap meet. And so all the... Uh, people would come in, and they would come and bring the things to sell. And th there were money exchangers because they would have to change now the Roman money into the, uh, the Jewish money and so on. And there would be all these things going on. And so you can imagine 
what should be the place of worship, the place of God's word, the place of approaching and meeting God, now all of a sudden becomes this flea market. And people are, people are just now hungry, not for God's word, but they're hungry to make a profit. So obviously he comes in here and he is um, angry because the purpose of it was forgotten. Uh, one commentator points out how uh, during Passover, I mean, this was a big deal, um, approximately 260,000 lambs, 260,000 lambs, a quarter of a million lambs would be slain during Passover. So what we're picturing is not just some small thing, uh, a small operation, a few boots that are set up, but now people are driving in droves of animals and money changers. The space that they used it in the temple was uh, big. Some estimated it's equivalent to 10 football fields. So it is big. And this is what they're doing. Here's a picture I have up. Uh, it's hard to tell a little bit. The writing is a, a little small. Um, didn't think about the font. I can't see it on there or barely on here. Uh, without my reading glasses. But here is the uh, temple. You will see kind of this vast, you know, in the middle you see there um, the, the kind of the main temple, and then you have the outside area um, of that flat area you see on both sides is called the Gentiles' courtyard. So it was a big space. And uh, uh, they would come in and they would set up house at that place the Gentiles' courtyard on both sides of the main temple there. And that somehow is almost like four or five football fields on each side. So it was huge. And so when Jesus is driving them out, it wasn't something casual and easy. It wasn't him saying a command and they all fled. He is going around row by row and chasing people out of his temple. It tells us in verse 45, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and all the things that they sold, right? It mentions. What is it? Why was he so angry? Is it because they littered the place? Is it because they were too loud or the animals smell so much? No, it's more than that. It was the way they approached worship. Um, the temple was a place of worship. And somehow they took worship and they uh, did not consider it uh, in the proper way. And so we're going to look at what worship is like, what it isn't like uh, from this text here. Number one, worship, first of all, must not be hindered. Uh, they were blocking people from coming in to worship on just a simple practical level. Right? Imagine if you were coming to church today here, and a bunch of people who were friends of Crossway set up a, a swap meet, and they were selling Rams t-shirts and Lakers shirts and, and taco stands and and you couldn't even get parking, let's say. And you can't even get into church. And imagine you're trying to get in here, and it is just people are selling stuff and blocking you, and they're trying to sell you solar panels and, you know, whatever it is, right, as you're walking around, and they're asking you random questions. And you're like, oh, I, can't even, I can't even worship. It's a distraction. And so there's the practical sense. It says in verse 46 this, right? Uh, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. 
but you have made it a den of robbers. So those two phrases there, the house of prayer, den of robbers, in most of your Bibles will have a little footnote. One is quoting Isaiah, the other is quoting Jeremiah. He is quoting, Jesus is quoting the terms from the Old Testament prophets. And he says there, he says, the first one that he quotes is from Isaiah 56, this term, my house shall be a house of prayer. You look at Isaiah 56, it says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings or sacrifice. So they're all coming, right, on the holy mountain, except my altar. And it says the last part, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So even in the Old Testament, the verse that he quotes is a picture not just of the ethnic Jews or, boy, those who were exact descendants of Abraham. But no, the gospel message was going to go out, and it was people outside of that, outside of that connection, outside of the blood relations. It was going to be for all nations. Now, so going back to this, how does this tie in? How did you get this? You go back to that picture of the temple, and that area is called what? It's the uh, Gentiles' courtyard. Only the Gentiles. Gentiles were the non-Jews, uh, people who lived elsewhere, um, were ethnically different. The Gentiles, or the outsiders, were not allowed to go into the middle part of the temple, but they were allowed in the courtyard. And so they could come to the courtyard, and they could give their offerings, and they could say their prayers there, but they weren't allowed to go all the way in. And so what they are doing here is they're not allowing the Gentiles to worship. And I wonder if this was done on purpose, kind of like, we don't even want them here. We don't want those people in here. And sometimes people can become very ethnocentric. Oh, it's only our country that God loves. It's only my people that God loves. They're different. They speak a different language. They eat a different food. They have a different culture. They're the Gentiles. And so they were not allowing the outsiders to come in. So this was where the anger was. Where the temple was supposed to be the place where the nations come to worship. And where the place for the Gentiles were now was covered with animals. And greedy merchants. Not looking at the Gentiles as my brothers and sisters who are coming in to worship, but to look at them upon as an opportunity to make a buck. And so worship is not to be hindered. It is easy to think somehow that so-and-so doesn't deserve God's goodness. So-and-so shouldn't even go to church. A lot of people have this mindset, boy, if they're so bad, how can they even show up to church? I had a conversation just recently with a friend, a friend of a friend. Knowing that I was a pastor, he started sharing with me his life past. He's in his 50s, but he was saying how, man, when he was in high school, he said, all I did was just fight. Real friendly guy now, but I could kind of see it, right? You could see it still, someone that had a past like that. And he says, man, I suggest we should just go at it. I suggest fight. He said, all I did was football and fight, right? Really? I was like, all I did was football and food, but I didn't fight, right? So we got one thing in common, and he would talk. And, and so he said, yeah, I said, fight. And he shared me, yeah, I got shot at like seven times. He remembered. It wasn't, he wasn't just making it up. And he was talking about growing up in, in the hood in East L.A., got shot at. And he's, um, at age 14, he went to juvenile hall. He said he was one of the youngest kids there. Even there, he said he was just ready to fight. 
Doesn't know why. And he says, and he was sharing with me, and he asked me a question. And it got kind of serious. This was all fun and games a little bit as he was talking about his past. I was like, oh, man. But he started sharing with me, and he asked me a question. He says, you know, because some of my friends, they're in jail. They actually killed someone. He goes, I know some people that killed people. All for their neighborhood and all this, the, the stupid things that teenagers might be doing. And he says, you think God would, you know, they would go to hell, right? Because they killed someone. You think God would forgive them? And, you know, for a pastor, like, that's like a ding, ding, ding. Like, oh, here's a great opportunity. You know, I was, like, excited. I mean, I shared with them. I said, of course he would forgive them. He said, how can he forgive them? I thought if you kill someone, you can't, you can't be forgiven. And then we had this whole discussion about it. I share that. I thought about that story. I thought about now maybe some of the people in the temple, the workers of the temple, the faithful people, the religious people, are looking at all these Gentiles coming in. They don't deserve to be in the temple. We'd rather have animals in the temple. We'll just use the courtyard for the Gentiles and we'll just sell things. They don't deserve. God doesn't care about their prayers. God doesn't want to hear them. He doesn't want to see them. And he, they hinder their worship. And it is so important uh, that we understand that. That God, the worship of God is for all people. The gospel is preached to all people. And really the goal of missions, the goal of church, the goal of discipleship, all of it is somehow to bring people to worship God. And they were hindering that. Um, Second mistake that they made about worship is, worship is not making God useful. Right? That's the second point. Worship is not making God simply useful for me. Oftentimes we think about God, we think about religion as, is he useful? Does he answer my requests? Does he do what I ask him to do? Can I gain something from this? Now all the people that were setting up shop thought about the Passover as a useful opportunity. They were just using it. It was an opportunity to make some money. It was an opportunity to go and sell what they had, the animals that they were raising. This was the day. And so God became very useful to them. When in fact, we ought to be used by God. Again, verse 46, the second quote. My house shall, not be, a house, uh, shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Den of robbers. It comes from, it's quoted from Jeremiah 7, 11. You could imagine in Palestine, in that region during the days, there would be robbers. And the robbers oftentimes would steal and rob people, and they would, what would they do? They would hide. They would hide out in caves, and they, so they call them the den of robbers. So that phrase, hence the expression, the den of robbers. And he says, at least those robbers hide in a cave. This is what Jesus is saying. You guys, by making God useful for your own gain, is out and open. And you've made the temple the place that you're hiding. You're hiding your motives behind God. You're hiding your sins behind God. You're using the name of God for your personal gain. The temple had now become a place of business, of gain. Merchants were stealing from each other. Now, there's nothing wrong with exchanging money, selling food, or whatever it is, right? Um, next time we, we sell lunch next Sunday or whatever it is, don't flip over the table, okay? Um, that's, you know, don't knock over the, 
hey, get this Venmo QR out of my face, right? How dare you? Didn't you listen to the sermon? Don't do that. That's not what it's saying. But now if we were selling each burrito for $50, right, then I will be the first to knock over the whole taco stand. $50, right? Um, But it had become this kind of place. They are using God, they're using the name of God, religion, for their gain. Sometimes we come to church, and before we ask God in the church, God, how can you use me? We come thinking, how can God be useful? Little subtle ways. Oh, is it fun? Are my kids having fun? Is it fun? As long as it's fun, then we'll just use the church to have a place to have fun. We should have more activities so it would just be fun. Or uh, church is a great place to do business. Church is a great place to go and meet someone, and then I could have clients, and I could sell, and I could gain uh, maybe some contacts, and sometimes we think in that way. Some people think church is a great place to come and gain votes. Every time it's election season, you see people, never see so many politicians in the church, quoting Bible verses, coming up to the front. It is something we have to be so careful of. This has happened then. It's happened in history, and the church is happening today. We are considered and called Protestants. So if someone asked you, we are Protestants. We're basically a descendant of the protesters, right? The one who protested against the Catholic Church from the Reformation. And the protests or the Protestants came about... Uh, led by Martin Luther, because the selling of what the Catholic Church was doing, they were selling what's called the indulgences. An indulgence, you would pay a certain amount of money, you get a piece of paper, it would have the correct signs and names and whatnot, and they would make a decree. And so they were teaching that your loved ones, your parents or grandparents, that after they're dead, they're waiting in purgatory. They're not in hell, they're not in heaven, they're waiting in purgatory. And if you paid the church, if you paid them the indulgence, you would get a piece of paper and it would speed up now the process. It was like a fast pass to get to heaven. And they would get this. Martin Luther saw that as corruption. He saw that as now them using religion. Uh, to go against what the church was meant to be, taking advantage of people's situation. Can you imagine that? If that was true, which one of us would not pay if that was true? If someone said, if you pay an X amount and you can now, your grandmother, your grandfather, they can now get to heaven quickly, who wouldn't? So they were taking advantage of a difficult situation one of the monks who was in charge of selling indulgences in Germany, Johann Tetzel. There's a quote that he said. He says, as soon as the money clinks into the chest, the soul flies out of purgatory. And to respond, Martin Luther said, he who sees a needy man and passes him by, yet gives his money for indulgences, does not buy papal indulgences, but God's wrath. And so the protest happened. And the Protestants came about, and we are still part of that tradition. And so we have to be also very careful. And we see here, lastly, about worship today, is worship is centered around the Word. And as I was going through this passage over and over and over this week, um, and you see it here, 
You see it in verse 47, right? The first thing Jesus does is he is teaching daily. So he now cleanses out 10 football fields of animals and uh, merchants. He cleans them all out. Uh, flips over all the tables, gets them all out. And it must have taken hours. But something about righteous anger, we've all been there. We know when someone has a righteous anger, we just give in. Because we know they have the right reason. Their motives are right and it's a righteous anger. And he cleans them out. And after he cleans them out, the first thing he does is he teaches. He restores the Father's house to what it must be. A place of worship, a place that's centered around the word. He teaches daily. And the priests, the chief priests, the scribes, the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, it says. Verse 47, they wanted to destroy him. Uh, but, look at verse 48, they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. I love that phrase. They were hanging on his words. As Jesus is preaching, they're hanging tight to his words. They're listening to him. Literally, in the original language, when commentator says they were hanging onto his lips. That's how you could translate that phrase. Meaning they were listening for every word. Closely. The center of worship is the word. You'll see certain churches. Certain churches that's more formal or high church, you could say, or more liturgical, they'll often have different things that are placed in different places to represent certain things and certain churches you'll go to. Uh, they'll have the Bible in the middle and they'll have the preacher preach from the side and the, the one that's preaching the sermon, their, their podium's higher. The one that's giving the announcements, the podium is lower and they'll set things up so that the word somehow meant, is meant to be the central thing. And it's so important, even in our service today, in the beginning, we had the reading of God's word as Pastor Sam led us in the call to worship, call to rejoice together. Somehow we hear God's word, we listen together, and it seeps into us. Uh, we have the time where we stand and read God's word, and we read it, and we hear our voices, and we go back and forth, and it's the kind of the idea that I'm reading it to you, you're reading it to me. I'm hearing it, I'm listening to it, I'm hearing it, I'm saying it, and we're communicating in God's Word. And there's the preaching of God's Word. Uh, the Bible talks about, Paul tells Timothy to preach the Word. In the Old Testament, the, the Levites were called often to explain the Word or preach the Word, really. And I think about this um, just a few decades back. If you grew up in church, you remember um, how central and precious the sermon was. I used to go and buy sermon tapes of famous preachers, right? Because you couldn't get it anywhere else. And I remember I would go and wait and pay money and go literally to their church and go buy cassette tapes of their sermons so I could listen to it. And now, uh, and I remember once someone had even gifted me a, a MP3 thing when that first came about. And he says, this is, it was every one of John Piper's sermon for the last 10 years. And someone gifted that to me. And it was very precious at the time. But now you think about how information is everywhere. 
and it is all over the place. And you have podcasts. Those of you at home, you can go click on the next thing, and there's someone that's better, that's someone that's preaching on something that caters to you. Uh, there's someone that's wiser and smarter with more degrees, and you say, oh, why would I want to listen to this, or why do I want to just go to church and stick to what he decides? Why shouldn't I do this? Because... When it comes to God's word, we have to listen together. The word church literally means assembling together. So your listening to God's word is not just a personal thing. I'm just inspired. Oh, I feel so blessed. It's not just about you. It's us listening together as a collective group of people with my brothers and sisters, knowing, hey, he was in the room, she was in the room, we all heard it together, now we've all heard it, there's a sense of accountability. We are people who grow together. We listen together. In the Old Testament, and I love this picture, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 records Ezra opening the book and the people's response. I just want to read this and we're going to uh, wrap up after this. But it says this And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and, he, and as he opened it, uh, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And here's all the names of the Levites in verse 7. And the second part of verse, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. people stood. The people lifted up their hands. They bowed their heads, faces to the ground as they heard God's word and they worshiped in this way. May you take your uh, worship seriously. It doesn't mean you can't be a fun person or, or whatnot, but let me encourage you to take Take God seriously. Take church seriously. Uh, we oftentimes take our leisure way too serious compared to the things that are important. Uh, prepare for it. Prepare my heart for it. How am I going to listen? How am I going to worship? How am I going to read God's word? How am I going to come to this place? How am I going to learn these songs? How am I going to sing it? How am I going to be here corporately with others? Take it seriously. We pray. The head of this church, the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he would look upon our humble church here in this rented school theater, that he would look and say, oh, well done. I'd say, well done. I want to encourage you. Uh, you make the church. And so let us worship in spirit and truth before God in the best way possible. Um, let me say a prayer for us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, that you provide a place for the Gentiles, the nations to come to worship. It is the church, the beauty of the local church. And so it is not just the, the building, it's not the location or time, but it is the gathering of your people, the proclamation of your word, 
And so as we gather for this, God, we want to take this seriously. The world around us, Lord God, um, oftentimes take grave matters way too casually when, God, we want to take you, Lord, in a proper way. So, Lord, as we worship you, by your grace, uh, would you accept what we give to you always? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.